How are we doing this morning? We all good? Yeah? That's good. So um, Craig isn't here this morning, obviously, as you can tell, because he's not sitting in the front row. Um, he is um, preaching at uh, Revive Waiuku this morning. Um, so they asked, they've been trying to get him to come for a few weeks, but everything was just not quite working out. So finally, um, yeah, he managed to do it. In fact, um, it was probably a little hit and miss. My sister's been staying with us for a while, and she tested positive for COVID. So that meant that both Craig and Seth, who haven't had COVID yet, had to had to isolate for the last week. Which they're both rather smug that again they still have avoided getting COVID. Um, so I've spent the week hearing about how awesome they are, and how obviously Madison and I aren't. So you know what you know what they're like. So um, hopefully you've been following along with the How to Hug a Vampire series. Um, if you haven't, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the other two messages um, because they will be helpful. Like the way that we like to do um, church and the way that we like to teach is that we don't feel you can teach something in one message. So we like to layer it to make sure that you get a really good understanding. So if you have missed something, I highly encourage you to go back and um, watch that. Um, also, this particular message actually finishes off the message that Craig did last week. So um, some of it, if you haven't heard it, you might be having a few questions or want to know some more. So I, once again, go back. You can download it on Podbean um, or on iTunes. I think we're on iTunes as well. And if you like to watch the videos, then you can go to Vimeo or just follow it back on our Facebook page and you'll be able to find it. And Yeah, so I just really encourage you to do that. So today's message, though, is about how to hug your vampire. So we have been kind of talking in generalized terms about everybody else, right? We've been making comments about that sort of stuff, but we're going to make it a bit more personal. So today is going to be really personal. It's going to be about the vampire that you have or the one that's in your world. Or maybe, because, you know, in all honesty, we always look at it and, and we ourselves are the victim. But sometimes, if we're going to be honest, we are a vampire to somebody else. Yeah, we don't like to acknowledge that, right? But yeah, so it's always the other person's fault and never ours, right? So um, yeah, so yeah, so understand that today is about making it a bit more personal. So we're going to pick up the scripture that Craig read. I'm just going to read it again just to refresh you. So that's in Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 20, uh, 32. And it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That sounds good, right? Yeah. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, for only what is helpful for the building of others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ, uh, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is actually a really intimidating piece of scripture. It is quite a powerful piece of scripture, but it does have that edge of 
I don't think I can do this, if I'm being totally honest. You see, this is one of those things that you cannot learn. There is not 12 steps about how you're going to be able to do this. This is not one of those things where you can have a life experience and it suddenly makes sense and you can do this. To be able to do this, you actually need the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle. When you are taking off the old and you are putting on the new, when you're taking off your old attitude, your old way of dealing with things, your, all of that old stuff, you require a miracle to be able to then put on the new and begin to walk again in the new. So this is something that without the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to do. You can fake it for a while. You can. But when it starts to get personal, you will need the empowering of the Holy Spirit to pull this off. So we're going to look. So Craig, of course, covered most of it, but I want to pick it up from verse 31. And we're going to break this down section by section. Right? It says... And 31, get rid of all bitterness. Now, when someone sins against you, you actually only have two options. You have forgiveness or you have bitterness. This is not one of those things where you go, actually, I'm not going to pick either of those and I'm going to pick a third option. No, no, it doesn't work like that. There are some things in this world where if you do not pick one, you've automatically defaulted to the other. If you have not picked forgiveness, you have automatically defaulted to bitterness. Because quite simply, bitterness is unforgiveness. Bitterness is actually really, really powerful because this bitterness is when unforgiveness becomes a stronghold in your life. It's when unforgiveness has built a castle, it has built a moat, it has just it's got defenses up. When unforgiveness reaches that point, you need a miracle. You need the enabling of the Holy Spirit to overcome because it requires changing the way you think. It requires changing how you behave to someone. It requires changing what you think about them, how you talk about them, and how you interact with them. And bitterness is really powerful because the person who was sinned against feels bitter because they've been hurt. And they have been hurt. Nobody gets bitter for no reason. There is a reason. And what happens is someone comes along and they say to you, you need to forgive them. And what happens is we get this flood of emotion and we start to say things like, but you don't understand what they did. You don't know what they did to me. They said this and this and this. And not only that, but they didn't even care that I was upset. They didn't care that I was hurt. And they haven't apologized. And you're telling me that I need to forgive them. And they're not even sorry. And they're not actually you know, justified in what they did. And we have all this emotion. And quite often, if that's not dealt with, it actually becomes depression. It can make us depressed. When we internalize our depression, we get sad, right? And, and we grieve. And there's a sadness about us. And it carries into every part of our life. And other people begin to sense it. When we externalize our depression, we get angry and we begin to escalate. Now, some people will internalize their depression, and you probably know a few people who are like that because they're just sad all the time. And then there are those people who are angry all the time, and those are the people who have externalized their depression. They, have, they use anger as a way of deflecting. And usually the person's not really angry. They're actually just depressed. 
and they're carrying a hurt. There are three things that you need to know about bitterness. The first one is, people who are bitter usually have a really good reason to be. They have a really good reason to be. As I said, no one gets bitter for no reason. There has been hurt. All bitterness starts out as hurt. And your emotional pain may well relate to viewing whoever or whatever has provoked this hurt and you, and you believe it's been with malicious intent. Sometimes even if it's been careless, I think that's even worse. If somebody's committed a grave injustice towards you and they have wronged you and it's caused you grief. And then we have anger and resentment and that's likely what we're going to experience when we conclude that somebody has been deliberately hurtful, has somebody has abused us. What happens, though, is when that's left to fester, that righteous anger will eventually become a corrosive ulcer that is bitterness. But don't forget that the person who is bitter actually has a good reason to be. The second thing is that bitterness can include God. We can actually be bitter towards God. There's a really interesting story in the Bible in the book of Ruth. And it starts off with this family, and they go from where they were living, and they migrate. They immigrate into another, into another nation, and it's the, the husband and his wife, and they have two sons. And things start out looking really well for this family, and they, the sons get married to the, the woman of this new place where they're living. But then a famine comes, a drought happens, and the two sons die, and the husband dies. And then there's this woman, and she's left alone. She's poor. She's destitute, she's a widow, she has nothing. And in Ruth 1, verse 20 to 21, but she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Do not call me Naomi, do not call me pleasant, but call me Mara, Mara means bitterness. Do not call me Naomi, do not call me pleasant, do not, but call me Mara, call me bitterness, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home empty again. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? What Naomi is saying here is that, God, you have failed me. God, I went out full of expectation. I had a husband. I had sons. I had daughters-in-laws, which are going to bring me grandchildren. I had all of this. And instead, what has happened is I am now left with nothing, and I am bitter. And she's blaming God. One of the harsh truths that we have to learn is that we do not have any right to be bitter against God. God is good, and he is not evil. The circumstances that you may be going through can be evil. They can be difficult, but it is not God. When evil happens, we can't be blaming God. Sometimes we have to look at our lives and we have to go, is it the consequence of my own sin that I'm now dealing with this? Is it the consequence of other, is it the actions of other sinners who are doing something to me? Is it just the consequence of the, the sinful world that we live in? Or is it Satan who is ultimately responsible? We have to look at those things because at the end of the day, it is not God because God is good. Now, absolutely, when you're in the middle of a struggle, you can actually say, God, I don't understand what's going on. You can question God. We can ask him. How is this supposed to work? I thought your word said this, but I'm not seeing the provision. I thought your word said that you have a hope and a future, but I'm not seeing this, God. You can absolutely question God, but at no point should you ever blame God for your situation. 
And it's one of the hardest things I think we have to learn. We don't have the right to be bitter against God. We actually don't. Now, if you read the whole book of Ruth, if you read the whole story, and it's not that many chapters, it's only like about four chapters. And if you are feeling bitter towards God, I actually really encourage you to do this. You'll see that Naomi's story actually ends up with blessings. In chapter 4, verse 13 to 17, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he's the father of Jesse and the father of David. See, there is good news and there is hope for those who are feeling bitter towards God. If you speak truthfully to God, and in your anger you don't sin and you work it out with him, he will remind you that he is only good and that he has not sinned against you and he still has a hope and a future for you. I went through a a period of time we'd lost, had two miscarriages and then I was pregnant with Madison and it was very traumatic and I've shared this story before so I won't go into great details and I remember having this moment where I was really upset with God because I was threatening to, to miscarry again and, and I, was, I was angry and I was upset and I was frustrated and I had this moment where in the end I put some worship music on, I cranked it up as loud as it would go and I lay on the floor in front of the, the speaker and I just told God truthfully how I was feeling. I told God truthfully how angry I was. I told him how upset I was. I told him how it wasn't fair. I told him about how I had been serving him faithfully ever since I became a Christian. And, you know, I just poured my entire heart out. And then I lay there and I just let God minister. And then I began to worship. And then I began to sing. And then I began to realize that God hadn't done any of this stuff to me that these were circumstances of the fallen world that we live in and that he is not evil and that he always has a hope and a future. And I got up off that floor with a strength that I hadn't had before, with a belief in God that I hadn't had before. You see, when you speak truthfully to God and in your anger you don't sin, God will come and he will meet with you and he will have conversations. And I highly recommend people all the time, I, I say to them, he knows you're angry. Just be honest with him. But in those moments, never leave that position of having told God how you're feeling without worshipping him, without acknowledging who he is and putting him in the place where he belongs, which is as king. See, you need to keep going by faith until you can see by sight the goodness of God in your life. And if you cannot get anything else out of today's message, then I pray that that's what you get. You need to keep going by faith until you can see by sight the goodness of God in your life. And sometimes there's bitterness and people can, can react to us and they can, can say things about us and they can begin to tear us down. And, and it happens because people are jealous. People get bitter because they're jealous. In James 3.14 it says, But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, 
Don't corrupt the truth with boasting and lying. See, people can get bitter because they're jealous. You didn't do anything. It's just that you got something that they wanted. You got hired. You got the promotion and they didn't. Or maybe they got fired. And sometimes these things don't make sense because, you know what? It's not that you did anything different to them. It's literally because the favor of God happens to be resting upon you. And it's grace. So it doesn't make sense and it can't be explained. But what do we do in those situations? What if we're the ones who are feeling a bit jealous? Because let's face it, that happens, right? We can look at other people's lives and it looks like their life is good. Everything's happening for them and it's not happening for me. And it can be a battle because in our old self, we would be jealous. We would be envious. We would make snarky comments, you know, to our work colleagues about how they got the promotion and you didn't. There would be that kind of like, if we're going to be honest, that's what happens. But in our new self, we can't do that, right? In our new self, we can't be like that. And Romans 12, 15 says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. We should be happy for them. And sometimes we have that tension between, well, I feel a bit jealous, and you, but if you recognize it, you confess it to God, and then pray for them. Pray for that person. Pray that they are blessed. Pray that they do the best job possible. Pray that God continues to provide them with a brand new car, or they get gifted with, you know. One of the pastors in our movement got left a house. Like, seriously, the, it's, it's a very the house is worth like $800,000. This lady left it to him in the will. All the other pastors, you should have seen it, it was funny. They were like, what? <laughs> like, hmm. you know, like, how did that, how did you get that? But you know what I mean? Like, pray for them, bless them, tell them it's amazing. Sometimes people say stuff about you and you're like, well, what have I done wrong? Sometimes you've done nothing wrong. It's just bitterness, as James said, because of, self, because of jealousy and selfish ambition. There's not a lot you can do about that when it's somebody else feeling that way. The third thing about bitterness that you need to understand is that it has less to do with the magnitude of the offence and everything to do with the proximity of the offender. It really does. Bitterness has less to do with how bad the offence was towards you, but it has everything to do with the proximity of the offender. Let's say that a total stranger comes along and he breaks into your house. And he steals some of your stuff, but you happen to wake up. And in the process, he beats you up. And then he leaves. But he takes your stuff as well, right? And 10 years later, you'll be telling the story. Oh, hey, this happened, you know. Um, I got robbed. Yeah, and I woke up, home invasion, and I got beaten up. And I took some stuff. And that'll be it. Now, you could see this guy on the street after he gets out of jail. Hopefully he gets caught. You never know. Um, and, and you would literally probably just walk past him because you're not going to really remember. But... Let's say your brother or your sister or your brother and sister in Christ, your husband, your wife, child, your parent, someone who you love, someone who has access to your heart, someone who has access to your trust. Let's say they do something that really in comparison is quite minor. Maybe they told a story about you. Maybe they exaggerated something to make you look like the villain. In 10 years' time, you're still upset about it. You're still angry about it. You're still hurt by it. You still replay it. You're still frustrated. You can remember exactly what they were wearing when it was said. You can remember the circumstance. You know the song that was playing on the radio. You know what I'm talking about. But in comparison, right? And we're bitter because it's got nothing to do with the magnitude of the offense that happened to us. It has everything to do with the proximity of that person or that offender to our heart. Usually the bitterness that you carry is to somebody who you once loved deeply. 
You see, better people really are like archaeologists. They're always digging up the past. They're always harking back to it. If you're having a conversation with someone and they're telling you the same story that they've already told you for the last 10 years, you know there's bitterness sitting in them. You know there's an issue, right? The only digging we should be doing is the digging that the book of Hebrews talks about, which is that we need to dig up the root of bitterness. The root of bitterness. If it's a root of bitterness, it means it's going to keep growing. Now, you might come along, you might just lob it off, but unless, of course, you dig out the root of bitterness, it's going to keep growing. That's why sometimes you might have those, but I thought I dealt with this moments. You know those things that you think you've dealt with, and you'll be fine, you'll be going on, and everything's all good, but then you have something happen, and you're like, you just straight back there again, and you remember everything that happened in that one situation from 10 years ago. You've got you to be able to dig up the root of bitterness, and the only way to do that is with forgiveness. Because you know what? If you do not deal with the bitterness, it will escalate. It says in Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness and then rage and anger. If you don't deal with the bitterness, we're going to reach rage and anger, right? Because bitterness undealt with, that's what it becomes. It becomes rage and anger. It gets to the point where you can't contain the bitterness. See, when you're bitter about somebody and you know that they're going to be at the same birthday party that you're going to be at, and you screw up your face, Right? That's a start. But then it gets to the point where you turn up to said birthday party and you are avoiding them, you're not even talking to them, and everybody can feel the tension in the air, right? Everybody knows what's going on because you stop being able to hide it. Something little happens and you flare up and you're like, where did that come from? Because you can't contain the bitterness anymore. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. We see this a lot in married couples, people who have been married for 20, 30 40 years and, and we, we'll sit down we'll be talking with them and it's something that happened so long ago but because they never dealt with it this rage sits there and this this anger is there but if they had dealt with it back when it was just unforgiveness we wouldn't have the stronghold that we're dealing with Ephesians 4:31: get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander we don't generally do this one that much there's not usually a lot of fights that happen unless you happen to go onto Facebook, right? Like what happens is Satan takes a really bitter person and he plugs them into the internet and before you know, there's a massive brawl happening. Honestly, it's so much fun to watch when it's not involving you, right? But you see it and they start and it becomes personal and it's just like everybody has an opinion and that the words are flying backwards and forwards You've all done it. I know you have because you all laugh. So you've all been there. You've all seen it, right? And everybody is having a say. And we get into this, the, just this outright brawl, which is completely unproductive. It is completely just harking back to, the, to what was going on. And it's just, it's just awful. It's just really awful. And the whole time while we're engaged in this, we're not being the new creation. When we're engaged in this, we're being the old person that we have actually put to death, right? Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, and along with every form of malice. See, every form of malice is when we reach the point of, I am going to hurt you, even if it hurts me. It's that cutting our nose off to spite our face. It's when we reach that point where we don't care what happens to us in this process so long as the other person is hurt, right? 
Yeah, no one's saying you even saying yes to that. We start doing horrible things and we're going back to our former way of life. The old has been put back on again and the new has been completely dismissed. And you know what? That's the danger of bitterness. It will, it will totally stop you from becoming the person that Christ wants you to be. We have to be able to deal with this. So how do we do it, right? Because it's, it's all well and good being telling you that this is what happens, but how do we stop that from happening? If we are a person who's experiencing that, how do we stop it? How do we reverse it? Well, you know what we do? Like I said at the start, we have to work with the Holy Spirit because you can't do this without him. We, we cannot. We don't want to revert back to our old nature. We want to become more like Christ as he leads us into our new nature. So how do we do it? Thankfully, the book of Ephesians tells us how to do that. In verse 432, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The hardest thing to do is to be kind and compassionate to the people who have hurt us. And it's an absolute miracle of the Holy Spirit when we can do this. So when you do experience that, it's a miracle and you need to rejoice in the fact that you are operating in the miraculous. Now very briefly, I just want to quickly go over seven things that forgiveness is. Because I think we have a misunderstanding about what things that forgiveness is and the things that it isn't. So the first one is, forgiveness is cancelling a debt. It is, it's cancelling a debt. I am not going to make you pay me back because Jesus has already paid for that debt. The debt that you owe me, the debt that I feel that you owe me by the hurt that you've caused me, by the actions that you've taken, that debt Jesus has actually paid for on the cross. He's paid for it. So I'm not going to ask you for it. I'm not, I'm, I'm canceling your debt because Jesus has already paid for that. Forgiveness is actually removing the person's control from you. You see, when you're bitter towards someone, they actually control you. You know, when I talked briefly before about you go to a birthday party and that person's there, they absolutely ruin your time, right? Because all you're thinking about is that person. You're not having a good time, you're not enjoying the people because you have to watch where that person is and who are they talking to. And oh no, they're talking to so and so. Now they're going, I bet they're telling them the story. I bet they're telling them. They're making me look bad. They control you. So forgiveness actually removes their control from you. Because nine times out of ten, the person who's hurt you is not even thinking about that situation. They don't remember it. If you bring it up, they're probably like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But it's controlled you for all this time. Forgiveness is a gift for them and for you. You see, it releases them from your wrath, but most importantly, it actually releases you from your bitterness. And you need that. It's an absolute gift. Forgiveness is forsaking revenge. See, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It doesn't mean that justice isn't done. It just means that you don't get to dish it out. It means that God does. And you know what? I kind of suspect his would be better than yours anyway. I mean, I know some of us are quite inventive when it comes to revenge, but I guarantee that God's vengeance is a lot better than ours. It is, forgiveness is ultimately leaving leaving justice to God, to let him deal with it. And sometimes we think, but God's not doing anything. That's not true. God's always doing something. But just because we don't see it in the now, or we don't see it right now, or we don't see it the way we wanted it to be, that's okay. You just got to leave it up to God. Forgiveness is actually a decision and a process, right? 
you can decide to forgive them, but it may take you a long time to emotionally get to that point where you actually feel like you've forgiven them. It could be a series of decisions to forgive them. You know, they do something else, so you have to forgive them again. Then somebody else shares a story that added some more detail to the event that you didn't know about, so you're going to have to forgive them again. Like, it's a decision to keep forgiving them. It's a process. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen off one, I forgive them. It, it's a, you have to do this multiple times. The seventh thing is, you will know that you're genuinely forgiven someone when you genuinely want the good for them. When you hear that they got a promotion and you think, that's great, that's awesome. But you know you've got a long way to go or you've still got some work to do when you hear that they're in a car accident and they didn't die and you're a little bit disappointed. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, you know, you're know, like, oh, darn, that's great. You know, you've got to work on it when you're at that point, right? But when you genuinely, genuinely like, oh, that's awesome, they didn't die, that's great, I'm so glad to hear that. And they got their promotion as well that I was going for. No, that's awesome. I'm sure they're going to do a great job. And you actually mean it. Now, seven things, though, that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denying or diminishing the sin or the hurt that they've done you. It's not saying that it wasn't a big deal. It's not saying that it didn't happen. It's not saying that you're being overly dramatic and you're being, you know, it's not saying that at all. Because it did happen. In fact, it was such a big deal that Jesus actually went to the cross for it. It's not diminishing the sin. When you forgive, forgiveness is not diminishing it at all. Jesus hung on the cross for it. It's not, it's not small. Forgiveness is not enabling their behavior. You know, it's not like, oh, I forgive them, they stole from me, and I forgive them, so I have to let them back in my house. No, no, no. Craig talked in the first week about boundaries, right? We put boundaries in place. We can forgive people, but that doesn't mean we allow them back to run roughshod over our house, over our life. Forgiveness is not a response to an apology. We had this belief that you can only forgive someone if they apologize. No, the, uh, forgiveness is not really about the other person, it's about myself. So I can forgive someone without having an apology. You know, they, if you believe that you can't forgive someone until they apologize, then again, you've now just given all the control and the power to that person. Because what happens if that person never apologizes? Because there are some people who aren't sorry for what they've done. They actually don't care. But you want to be held ransom to that? No, you don't. We're going to forgive because forgiveness is not about a response to their apology. What if they die and then you never get the apology? Particularly in cases where, you know, it's an issue with your parent and they've died, you're not going to get an apology for you. You need to forgive for your own benefit. Forgiveness is not about covering up sin. You know, you find out someone's been stealing from, from your employer, you, you need to tell. You need to say, hey, you've been stealing. You know, if you're the employer, someone's been stealing from you, then you find out and you say to them, hey, look, I'm going to forgive you. But I am still going to report this to the police. Why? Well, because, you know, we must walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. You know, forgiveness isn't about covering up people's sin. It's about dealing with the sin. I was thinking about this, and when I was in high school, um, I didn't like sports. So whenever it was a sports day, I would not go to school. I would go into Auckland City on the train and... One day, my friend and I, we decided we weren't going to, we're not doing a sports day. So we snuck off into Auckland City, 
And then about three weeks later, because in those days, because we didn't have, have mobile phones, right? So there's no texting, there's writing messages and notes and, you know, all that sort of Anyway, about three weeks later, my mum finds the note that we had discussed what we were doing. So do you know what she did? She rang the school and told them, I get hauled down to the dean's office. You were wagging school yesterday. No, nah, I was here. <laughs> and he goes, no, no, your mum said. No, 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 I was here. <laughs> He's like, no, she rang and did it. I said, no, no, I wagged about three weeks ago when we had the sports day. He goes, oh, then why is your mum telling us? I said, because she believes that I should be punished. <laughs> and sure, and, and the school was, they were like, oh, okay, in that case, we'll give you some detentions then. Even they were a bit flabbergasted because it happened three weeks ago and it was just like, but you know what? You actually have to deal with the sin and you have to own up to what you've done. But yeah, I always thought that was, and all my friends were like, I can't believe your mum did that. <laughs> so I know, right? So not only did I get, I got grounded at home and then I had detention and it was just like, and then I had my friends go, I can't believe your mum did that. <laughs> So forgiveness is not forgetting. You'll hear this a lot. You'll hear Christians say all the time, oh, you've got to forgive and forget. That's a load of rubbish. You can't. It's impossible. And people say, oh, well, in Jeremiah, it says that God remembers our sin no more, which is true. That is what it says. But God is also omniscient, and he knows everything. He doesn't forget anything. You see, when God says he doesn't remember our sin anymore, what he means is that he is choosing to interact with us in the light of who Jesus is, not in the light of who we are. He chooses to interact with us in the light of what Jesus has done, not in the light of what we have done. It doesn't, it, what it, God doesn't know me anymore as a sinner. He knows me as a saint in Christ Jesus. And he chooses to interact with me in the light of my identity in Christ. You cannot forget. There is no way it is a smart thing to do to put the drug addict in charge of the medicine cabinet, right? That's just foolish. Yes, we've forgiven them. Yes, they may have repented, but we're not going to do it. Just like as much as I believe that um, the pedophile needs to find Jesus, he is not going to be serving and revive kids. We cannot forgive and forget. We get this a lot in, in counseling sessions, particularly if we're dealing with couples where the one person's had the affair, and they're always like, you know, um, you know, we've done everything, I've, I've done the work, and, and they're restoring their relationship, but the wife just can't forget. No, she can't. She's never going to. But she can still forgive you. She can forgive you each time her, she gets angry about it. She can forgive you each time she gets upset about it. It's a decision and it's a process, but she will never forget. Anyone who says to you, forgive and forget, just smack them in the face. No, don't do that because we're supposed to be forgiving people. Just, you know, you've got you to gotta be sensible about this, Right? You've got to put boundaries in place. Forgiveness is not trust. It's not. Trust is gained slowly and it is lost very quickly. If someone sins against you, you can forgive them instantly, right? But trust has to be rebuilt over time. And depending on the degree of offense, it may never quite get there. You just can't pick up where you left off. Again, it's about boundaries. Yep, I forgive you, but there's now a boundary in place until I can actually trust you. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. It's not. You can actually forgive someone without ever having a friendship with them again. And it's up to you. When you're the person who's been hurt, you, you don't have to be friends with that person who hurt you again. I forgive you, I love you, but going forward, our future is going to look different. 
The Bible says that we have to forgive, but you have the right to choose your own friends. And when they come to you, they say, oh, but I thought you forgave me. I did. I did forgive you. And I do love you. But there's an adjustment in our relationship. There's an adjustment in our friendship. And we can't be friends like that anymore. You know, we can just be friendly acquaintances. I, I can't have you come close again. See, reconciliation takes two people to happen. The sinner apologizing and the victim forgiving. And you can't have reconciliation without both people acknowledging the, the gravity and the depth of the issue. And nine times out of ten, you're not going to get that because usually the perpetrator doesn't want to admit how bad things got. So forgiveness is not reconciliation. And ultimately, this is all about Jesus. And no one has been sinned against more than Jesus. And we're becoming like Jesus. Maddie, if I can just have you on the keyboard, please. Psalm 51 verse 4 says, Against you and you only have I sinned. You see, we, we think about people hurting us, but the hurt that Jesus suffered was actually greater because he was completely undeserved of all of it. To be honest, sometimes our actions can lead us into a situation where things escalate and it gets worse and we get hurt by it, but we actually did start the ball rolling. You know what I'm talking about? Not only have we sinned against people, but every time we sin, we actually sin against God. So rather than getting bitter, we actually need to forgive. Because really, aren't you glad that Jesus chose forgiveness over bitterness? I know I am. Now, I get that I can upset you and I can offend you and I can hurt your feelings and I can be a bit blasé and, and you can be upset with me because, you know, there are times when I sin and I do those things and I don't take people's, other people's feelings into account. Why? Because I'm selfish, because we're all selfish. We only ever think about ourselves. But Jesus... He didn't do that. He was perfect. And he came to make his enemies his friends. He offers forgiveness rather than bitterness. In fact, while hanging on the cross after being beaten and whipped, he looks at the guy next to him and he forgives him. And he looks over the whole crowd who were calling for his death and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, if there was ever a time to be bitter, if there ever a time for unforgiveness, I think it was then. But he forgave. And every beating he took and every whipping he had was for our sin, and he forgave us. And if you're sitting here and you really appreciate the fact that Jesus actually says forgiven, then we need to extend forgiveness to others, even if they never apologize even if they don't think they did anything wrong, even if they really don't care. Because you know what? You can trust Jesus to straighten it all out at the end. And if you have sinned, if you have hurt somebody, then you need to ask for forgiveness. If you've been sinned against, then you need to forgive. I'm not trying to belittle what situation you may be going through or what's happened to you, but I want to show you that Jesus said to forgive. Forgiveness is life, and bitterness is death. And he lived by example for both of us. I want us to pray and ask him to give us a heart to forgive. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, because some of us, this is probably a bit, a bit deep, and you might, wanna, you might need to consider, you know, particularly if you've had this stronghold in your life for a while. Strongholds 
sit in our mind and they take, they take a bit of effort, they take a bit of time because you are justified in your anger. You are justified in feeling upset. You are justified in being angry at that person. And so it takes time to work through that. So I'd like us to get to our feet and we're going to pray. I just want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, just bring to mind, Father, for each person, bring to mind, Lord, someone they need to forgive, some bitterness that they need to dig out. Maverick City had a song um, that I really like, actually, called The Ring and Robe. And and what I really like about it is the lyrics. And and the lyrics talk about um, how the redeemed have a song. They have a song of praise. And how the redeemed have a shout of victory. But it talks about how sometimes people are so locked up and they're hurt and, and they're so captive to, to they're such slaves to their hurt and they're such slaves to, the, to their sin that they can't quite lift their hands. And I really like how, and I'm, pro- I'm probably going to get the lyrics wrong because I'm doing it from memory, but it says, it says along the, something along the lines of, we have, oh, if we sing loud enough, the captive may not be able to sing, but if we sing loud enough, then they might join in with us. And so if you are struggling with bitterness, and if you're struggling with that kind of stronghold or unforgiveness towards someone, then I want to encourage you to get around other redeemers, to get around other Christians, to get around other disciples, because in their freedom, when they lift up a song of praise, eventually you'll be able to sing with them. That when they begin a shout of victory, that you'll be able to shout for victory. That when they talk about forgiving people and praying for other people, that you'll be able to pray for the person who's hurt you and offer them forgiveness. Because we need to do this together. We need to gather together because this is a big deal, right? This is a big deal for some of us. We're talking about some hurts that you've been carrying for a long time. And sometimes we can't do it ourselves. We're bound in chains. We can't get our hands to lift. But your brothers and sisters can come alongside you and they can lift your hands with you. So, Father, we just pray. Lord, for those, Father, who have got that root of bitterness. Lord, for those who have built a stronghold of bitterness. God, that you would come, your Holy Spirit would come and enable them, Father, to bring the walls down. Father, to dig up that root of bitterness. Lord, to surround them, Father, with good godly Christians, Father, who will uplift them, who will help dig them out of the hole that they're in, Father. Lord, for those who need to forgive, Father, God, that you would show them the path to forgiveness for another person. God, that you will give them an opportunity to pray for that person. God, that you will have them walk through that path, Father, because it's not just a one-off event. It is a decision and it is a process. Father, for those of us, Father, who um, 
need to be forgiven, Father, that we would go forth and we would seek forgiveness from those people who we have hurt. God, that we would have the boldness and the courage to acknowledge the hurt that we have offered to, and done to other people, God, and that we would be a people who would seek out that forgiveness. Whether the person grants it or not, Father, we know we would have done the right thing by you. We pray, God, that your spirit would enable us, Father, to let go of the old habits, the old life, the old way of doing things and embrace the new. Lord, that we would not be a people who hold on to petty jealousies, but we'll be a people who rejoice with others. That we would not be a people, Father, who would um, cling to the to lies and falsehoods and all those things. But God, we'll be a people who speak truth and we'll speak life. And we pray, God, that as we go forth this week, that there is opportunity for your name to be exalted. There's opportunity for us to share, Father, the goodness that you've done in our life. And Lord, if any of us are feeling bitter towards you, we have an opportunity, God, to let that go, to see the situation for how it really was, that you actually have a hope and a future for us. And all God's people said, amen. Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope that was helpful for you. I hope that encouraged you. I hope that gave you some keys into helping you let go. I um, really want to encourage you guys to come out next week. So the next two Sundays is actually going to be about suck-proofing your soul. So, you know, to not allow things to, to suck the life out of you. How do we suck-proof our soul and stop it from happening? It's going to be really awesome. Otherwise, have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>